You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 232 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening. It is our normal time slot. This is not an emergency podcast, and I'm joined for the second time in only a few days by Eric Cole. Hello, sir. In some cultures, we'll be married, Brad. I just wanted you to know that. Yeah, and uh, as many people have made the joke today when I announced on Twitter that we would be doing a podcast tonight, it was a couple of people made the joke that... uh, I'm sure we'll have another podcast out about 24 hours because something will happen on Monday morning, which normally is what happens. Uh, but less. Right. Uh, here we are. Uh, no, you know, cr- fingers crossed. No major Braves news in the last few days. Uh, there was an addendum to our emergency podcast. If you missed it, Eric and I talked about Mike Fultonavich being DFA'd the other night. Um, previous to that, Scott and I talked about a lot of different things. And um, but Fulty. Cleared waivers. Now that was a mild surprise. It wasn't like an earth shattering one. We talked about that maybe maybe happening. Um, he got outrighted by the Braves to the alternate side in Gwinnett, so he's still in the organization. Although he is not on the forty man, that's a critical distinction. Um, theoretically, though, he could come back. They do owe him the two point three million dollars in real money this year, which is his prorated salary because nobody picked that up. Um, Fulty could have refused to go to Gwinnett, but if he did that, he would have given up his salary. And that would not have been a smart move based on the market for him. So he uh, accepted it, went to Gwinnett. Um, by the way, and I think we maybe briefly mentioned this, but not 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 well enough on the emergency podcast, he was pretty close to his five-year barrier on service time, which is probably the best explanation that I have seen for why the Braves move so quickly. Because once he gets to five years, the Braves DFAing him, um, he could have refused the uh, outright and also kept his money. That's a pretty big divider. So if you're looking for a reason, and this is one that we should have known, and that's my fault for not knowing it, but he was pretty darn close to the five-year service time barrier. And if he had, get, if he had gotten there, the Braves would have had a, a little bit more pause to dfa him, essentially. So I'm not sure that's the reason, but it certainly could have been that. And also, you know, the Braves didn't want to release him, apparently. They wanted to keep him in the organization if, no, if nobody else was going to pay his money. That's the big thing here is that the only way the Braves were going to get out of this contract right now is if someone picked him up off waivers. Because nobody did, the Braves have no incentive to release him because, you know, if you release him, he's gone and you're paying him. Whereas at least there's a, a prayer um, that potentially he finds something in Gwinnett and maybe you bring him back later on in the season. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I think that the the timing kind of worked itself out where I think that it seems like internally they were like, okay, we're going to see if Fulte, how this start goes, will determine whether or not we are going to willing to go past that five years of service time, that, that barrier. And once he, once, and once that start went as poorly as it did, especially with the diminished stuff and it's not, it wasn't just, you know, wildness. It was, you know, his stuff was actively not good. Uh, I think that they just made a pretty quick decision that it's probably best to not 
uh, to kind of be able to DFA him without having to owe him the money regardless. Um, if, if, if he decided to refuse the assignment anyway. So this kind of keeps them in the organization, maybe lets them have a little bit more time in terms of an overall decision. Um, I do think that based on how all this has gone down and kind of how it seems like Fulty has dealt with the situation and how the Braves have sort of handled him, I mean, it seems like a unless something really crazy happens, that, I mean, he's going to get non-tendered this offseason. And that g- given where he was just a year ago, you know, in terms of like being thought of in the Braves organization and kind of what their thoughts were with him, it's kind of wild that we've gotten to this point. Certainly. I mean, he's a big favorite to be non-tender at this moment in time, given that he is not even on the 40-man. He'll be 29 in October, so he's not as young as people might have thought that he still is. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be real money, too. So I would imagine, like you've said, that unless he just resurrects himself in the next few weeks, honestly, there isn't that much time. I know this is a, it's a shortened season, so it's all he has months to get ready and get ready get, get, get back into the fold here. He's got to find it and find it quickly, or uh, to your point, he probably will be non-tender. But alas, he is still in the organization, so we should not ignore him completely. I would still uh, guess, and I'm wondering what you think about this as sort of our, our final salvo on Fulty for a while. I would guess he never comes back with the Braves, uh, Major League Club. That's my guess. What do you think right now? Would you uh, be on my side, or do you, think, do you think that he might come back up at some point? Unless he gains like five miles an hour in his fastball, there are already a bunch of pitchers that are on the 40-man roster. I mean, there's there are legitimately a bunch of them. Now, how many of them are like really decent starters is an open question, and I think the Braves are kind of exploring that question right now. But there's also Ian Anderson and Kyle Muller who are outside on the outside looking on the 40-man roster. And based on how Fulte has looked and kind of all the trials and tribulations that are around having Fulte on your roster right now, can, like all the baggage now of, you know, like, what is he and isn't he? Is, is he going to have a bad day on the mound? Is he going to be all mentally there, et cetera, et cetera? Would you rather have him on the mound and on your 40-man roster, or would you want to give Kyle Muller and or Ian Anderson, two of your best pre- pitching prospects, a chance at, the, at a spot and actually helping your club? And if that's the case, combined with, again, all the issues that Fulte's had, the diminished stuff, the kind of – it's it seems like he's having a lot of trouble kind of maintaining his mental composure on the mound – all that stuff, like, I just don't know what the path is beyond all of a sudden a bunch of increases back to his normal stuff combined with kind of confidence that he's going to be able to keep it for any appreciable amount of time. I mean, all those things considered, I just don't see it. I just don't see it happen. Yeah, I mean, the the big thing for me, I know there's been a lot to talk about the non-baseball stuff. I, I have no idea what's going on there, um, but baseball only, I think – it's pretty common sense, in my opinion, that he, he he just can't pitch like a major league starter when he's sitting at 90 or something or something around there with his fastball. It's almost that simple. Um, that's probably, I'm sure it is oversimplifying things a little bit because I'm not an expert on pitching, but he's, he is not a, he's not someone I think that anyone believes is a major league starter throwing a fastball in the 90-91 range. So... It's probably as simple as that. If he can find it and be back in the mid-90s, then he might have a path back. At 89-91, I don't really see that being a thing. So that's probably well, too mean, simple, but there you go. I mean, well, you have to have plus command at the very least. The thing Which he doesn't have. Way, yeah, that's yeah. just it, right? He was throwing 89-91 and not throwing strikes. Well, he yeah, there, there are guys who can live in that range. He is not yeah. one of them based on what we've no. seen. Yeah, no. So either he – unless he, again, finds like two grades higher – command of all of his pitches or you know again finds that velo again i just he's not a major league pitcher it's just not i mean then at that point he's a bad version of julio to run 
Yeah, and, and I mean, there was like, a theory. Julio was already suspect at times. Right, and there was a theory I, I saw kicked around by some people that I, I think are smart about, you know, maybe Fulty finds it and you could use him in the bullpen. I mean, he profiles, if he can throw hard, as someone who might work in the bullpen. Um, but the problem is he's now off the 40-man, and your bullpen is not a weakness at the moment. You, ha- you have you have oh. arms in the bullpen. Um, now, if you get an injury or two, et cetera, et cetera, maybe, maybe that becomes a, a thing later on, but there's no reason to think he's going to be better than what you have now in the bullpen. So that could be something later on, especially if the Braves were to um, you know, make a playoff run, as we're expecting them to do. Um, but... Yeah, that, that's an option, but not as not as simple as you might think, especially because they already made the sort of drastic move to DFA him. If they were, if he was still on the roster, it might have been a good sort of failsafe to maybe try him there. But I don't know. I'd be looking at using Newcomb in the bullpen before I'd be looking at useful in the bullpen. So we'll see what happens there. Okay, uh, enough faulty for one and a half podcasts. Uh, the other thing that's non-game related for the Braves at this moment again, at this moment, that there were a bunch of postponements this week in Major League, in Major League Baseball. At one point, there were like 20% of ba- baseball that was not playing this weekend. Um, Rob Manfred reportedly told Tony Clark and the Player Association that they could shut the whole thing down if things weren't improving. There was some reporting about the Marlins and how people around baseball are not very happy with them and their operations and their protocol following. Um, and also, there was a report from ESPN that the networks that televise baseball we're told to at least plan for alternate programming in the event that baseball is shut down. Now, things have seemingly gotten a little bit more stabilized in the last 36 to 48 hours, but I'm using seemingly there intentionally. Uh, a lot can change in a short period of time here because as of like Friday, it was looking pretty dire. Um, I'm not sure how it is going to be now. Um, they had the Marlins on a bus, for example. But to this point, it's not touched the Braves in terms of cancellations or postponements. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen here, but we have to at least talk about the fact that, you know, baseball may not be long to continue if things get worse for a couple of these teams that have had outbreaks. Yeah, I mean, I think that the it was understood that there was like some teams were just going to miss some games here and there. Uh, that, at least that's what the league is spinning right now is that they, got, they, didn't, they did not think that all teams were going to finish 60 games this year. Um, the bigger problem is like I don't think that it's the Marlins right now. Obviously, the Marlins, you know, color me surprised that a team that's managed by Don Mattingly and is owned by Derek Jeter might not have like the best leadership and understanding as to kind of what they need to be doing in regarding how they operate. But you know, that was at least an understood situation. Like we've known for a week plus now that there's this up outbreak that is, you know, on the Marlins and it was going to be bad. The problem now is that while the Marlins didn't have any new positive cases today, now there's an outbreak on the St. Louis Cardinals, which is kind of slowly kind of creeping up towards double digits in terms of players. And rather than just having what happened this weekend, which is that the Brewers Cardinals series was, was postponed with all these new positive cases. And as of right now, at least I haven't seen is like the number of new cases on the Cardinals for today, but it's kind of been reported as, you know, it's not just a couple like the, the results were not good today. And if that's the case, then all of a sudden you have another week of games that are being impacted in the NL central, which kind of complicates a lot of things. And again, when you have your half your roster get knocked out and you just have to postpone games that affects an entire, you know, a bunch of other teams too, in terms of what their travel schedule is. Um, and then you have to kind of look at what those teams, who those teams have already faced and see if you have to quarantine those teams too. It's kind of a mess. You know, if the Marlins can get back on the field and start playing again, then maybe, but you know, once you have these multiple cases on teams and you just have to shut everything down and put them in a hotel, you know, it's a week, 10 days before you can figure out what the overall fallout is and whether or not you can actually let 
teams play. The Phillies like haven't had positive tests really on their roster, and they've been they haven't been able to play forever. They're finally getting to have workouts tomorrow. It's a mess. Yeah, it is a mess. That's a, that's the best way to put it. Obviously, we'll touch on this more in depth if it impacts Braves games with postponements or you know maybe even a whole league shutdown. But for now, I guess everyone's waiting for more on the Cardinals as of Monday. Um, there's just a lot of buzz on that front, and uh, I'm not naive enough to realize, or at least to I'm not going to ignore the fact that baseball just might not keep going um, at some point. We we not reached that point just yet. I hope we don't reach that point because we all like baseball and want it to happen. Um, but we'll keep an eye on that, of course. Okay, Eric, let's move on to baseball that happened this week, and the Braves did not lose a game since our last podcast. So we did the emergency show earlier this week, right after the Fulton Avage experience. The Braves uh, have not lost since then. They've now won five in a row, uh, and things went quite well over the weekend, um, you know, basically walloping the Mets. Uh, the series is not over. They play again on Monday, but... You know, we could, go, we could go game for game here, but what, do you have any broad takeaways other than the fact that the Braves are apparently pretty good at baseball? Uh, yeah. Uh, first things first, I think the lineups look really good. I mean, not the lineup, the bullpens look really good. Um, you know, other than the Yulis Justin debacle where he got left in too long, and I, I'm not going to revisit kind of how that whole game was handled because that was a pretty frustrating one uh, in terms of how it was managed and, you know, a really close game became not a close game because of certain decisions regarding leaving pitchers that <laughs> clearly didn't have didn't have it that night um and then the offense came back and bailed that those decisions out you know what i mean but other than that i mean minters looked really good martins looked good the um, melanson's kind of looked a little bit shaky at times but mostly just you know in terms of base runners he's not giving up you know prodigious amounts of runs or anything um josh tomlin was he put in some real work in the other night in terms yep. of you know just looking really good uh I, you have to be really heartened by kind of what the bullpen's doing because they've done it all without will smith and they should be getting him back soon once he's kind of faced live hitters a few times so overall i mean you have a lot to be happy about with the bullpen and i mean look this the offense is being carried right now by marcelo zuna and dansby swanson just like we all predicted <laughs> uh you know the top third of the lineup hasn't really been hitting uh, the bottom third of the lineup hasn't really been hitting, uh, with the exception of when Dansby's been down there. So, you know, maybe there's room for some growth. I don't think Dansby's going to be, per, per, and Ozuna are going to be producing at MVP, you know, caliber, you know, rates the, all, throughout the course of the year. But it's really nice to have them right now because Acuna's, you know, if he's just now kind of getting going, had a good game the other night, but played pretty well today too. So... You know, and then hopefully you get Hazi healthy, and then all of a sudden you have kind of a lineup that is like consistently producing top to bottom rather than having, you know, like one good Freddie game and the rest of him just kind of drawing some walks here and there. You know, you want to get some just more consistent production from your offense, but they're scoring runs. The starting pitching has been interesting at times, but yep. look, Sor Soroka and Freed have looked good. Um, the, even the times when the starters haven't been good or looked good, they haven't given up a ton of runs. And in the one case where the pitching staff give, did give up a ton of runs, the offense went wild for reasons that are beyond my understanding and, you know, led by, you know, bases clearing doubles from Travis Darno and all this other stuff. One of those improbable Braves wins, you know, notwithstanding. Overall, you know, they have limited damage. The offense is scoring enough. And that's not like scoring two or three runs. This is generally they've been scoring like, you know, four to five range pretty consistently. And, you know, the pitching can at times be really good. So... Overall, I'm happy 
uh, considering that you only had a two weeks of training camp to kind of get ready for a season, and you find yourself after the first ten the first ten games, which is a significant portion of the season, and you find yourself seven and three. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to tackle there, and we'll we'll sort of break it down into different topics, of course. But I, I generally agree. I mean, the Braves are seven and three. They're a top five team in run, run differential, so it's not like this is a, this is a total fluke. They had the one massive, you know, fourteen to one win last week. But other than that, which is kind of an outlier this early, but they still played well on the whole. You mentioned the bullpen. Um, the bullpen has been really, really good. Uh, obviously, little little things here and there, which is which the, the math tells you that you, the bullpen can't just be incredible every single night. But guys like Matzik have been really good. You mentioned Josh Tomlin. He's been great. Uh, even coming into the day today and before uh, the bullpen pitched very well again today on Sunday, the Braves were, t- uh, I believe, tied for fourth in bullpen war, according to Fangraphs, and then they threw five-plus scoreless, scoreless innings again today. So there's probably a top three or four bullpen in the league so far. And again, without Will Smith, who is the multi-year uh, investment big guy they acquired this uh, winter, that's a pretty good sign. Obviously, there, there will be blips along the way, but I think the bullpen is a, a definite strength. We talked about that coming into the season. I thought pretty clearly the bullpen was the best unit the Braves had on paper. That continues to be the case now. They've been really good, and you throw if we assume Smith is going to be Smith, that uh, should be very, very helpful. Um, I, wanted to, I want to get to the rotation in a second, but before we get to that, um, Ozzy, you mentioned him briefly. We should always talk about this. Uh, Ozzy, sat out, Ozzy sat out twice this weekend, Friday. They call it wrist soreness today. It was, again, the same wrist issue. And the thing that scared me a little bit about Ozzy sitting today is that it was against a lefty. Um, and Ozzy kills left-handed pitching, and I think the Braves obviously know that. So he's got to be fighting it a little bit to be sitting two out of three days, including against a left-handed pitcher. We don't know much more than that, but obviously that that's a problem if he's not 100% or close to it. Um, they have some depth. They went with Hechevarria. That's fine. Get him, get him some playing time. And I thought on Friday... It made some sense if, if Ozzy was battling anything at all to get Hetch in there. He hadn't played really at all. Um, that made sense. Then, but you know, the second time is when your eyebrows really raise because it could be a normal day off, but not if it's two out of every three. So we'll see how they handle that moving forward. But what's your worriness level without knowing much uh, much more than anybody else does right now? Uh, kind of in that like the three range. Uh, you always worry about something like this as being a lingering thing. You don't like the Braves have been pretty clear that he's they're not going to have an MRI done on it. Like they seem to understand kind of it's not like like a ligament's popped or something like that. I mean, he he was available to play today too. Yeah, like, yeah, it he, wasn't yeah, like yeah, he was that, out. That's a big deal. Yeah, like, if you say if you say he's available, like in, in a shortened season, I don't think they would do that just for smoke and mirrors. You know what I mean? I think that they like if they needed to go to him, they would go to him. But I mean, I don't think that they. I know this might it might be as simple as they just didn't think that they needed him against the Mets, uh, and the Mets have not looked <laughs> particularly good. I mean, you're going against a Mets team that is like in seeming free fall. You know, Pete Alonso can't hit the broadside of a barn with his bat, and and Jonas Cespedes didn't even show up for the game. So, and he opted out before the in the in the middle of the game. So, you know, if that's the case, maybe you're just like, hey, you know what? If your wrist is sore, there's no reason to force it, and. These are the kinds of decisions that we should be applauding, that if there are minor things going on with the guy, that you don't just run him out there and make him play through it. You know, if you have the op- if you have if you feel like you have a good enough roster and if you feel like that you can afford to give a guy a day off when he's dealing with something, then you should do it. Uh, I know that it's compounded by a shortened schedule where it feels like every game feels like two and a half games. You know, the, the overall, I'm, I would rather them do things like this so that way 
come the end of, you know, whenever the end of the season is, which might be tomorrow, or we might somehow, <laughs> some way, get to the end of September. Um, you hope that this, you know, this isn't something that lingers, but I, I, feel, I, do, I generally believe them and say they're just being proactive and managing something, uh, and they honestly just didn't need him. Uh, and they feel like they felt like against a lefty that they had some really good options. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I just, it's something worth keeping an eye on. That, that's all I'll say about that. Obviously, he is one of your premium players. He's not been good this year. Um, he's not alone in that. It doesn't have to be injury-related, but it's just one of those things. It's a small sample size. Um, you mentioned before that you know Ronnie got a little bit healthier in terms of his play this weekend. He uh, had a big night on Saturday, etc. Uh, Ozzy's struggling a little bit. Um, the ups and the downs. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I wanted to bring it up now. Um, there's this notion out there. I've seen it a couple, couple times, and I definitely understand where it comes from. About you know the Braves are seven and three, and look how these guys are struggling. Um, and they point to Ronnie and Ozzy, especially um, Ender, etc., Austin Riley. Um, that's definitely true. Um, you, you can assume, I think, pretty safely that guys like Acuna and Albies are going to be much better over the course of the season than, than they have been so far. My counterpoint would be what you said earlier. Uh, you, you also can't expect uh, Dansby and Ozuna to be MVP caliber players. Uh, I think at the, at the moment, Ozuna, Ozuna might, might, might be the MVP of the league in the National League. He's been that ridiculous so far. Um, those guys are good at baseball, especially Ozuna. I think we, we know that at the plate that he can really hit, and Dansby is showing all the flashes that we all hoped he would show. Um, but I think it can be a little bit oversimplified sometimes when you say, look, they're 7-3, and three, and a lot of their better players have not been great so far, and that is technically true. It's just the implication that those guys are going to suddenly improve and everybody else is going to stay the same. Um, I think you can kind of have to, unfortunately, pencil in some regression for uh, Dansby, and Ozzie, uh, sorry, Dansby and Azuna to balance the scales a little bit, even if I actually agree the Braves lineup is probably better than it has been so far. Yeah. Uh, I, again, I'm I'm not like the the trade-offs, the the regressions towards the mean with all these guys. I think favor the lineup being better than what they have produced right now. I agree. Yep. But and that, and that, just don't expect like all of a sudden all all nine guys to be hitting an all. That, all that's what I mean, really. Like yeah, you can't. That, 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 there's there's this tendency good. to assume. And this it's just optimism. There's nothing wrong with this at all, especially if you're just a fan and you're trying to be positive. Um, that you know. Just, just wait till these guys start hitting, and it's like, well, yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna hit. Ronald Acuna is not gonna not just be bad. Like it was kind of funny the timing, but somebody asked me if I was worried about Acuna like 20 minutes before he went off on Saturday night, and I just like, guys, it's Ronald Acuna. Like, I know he looks bad right now, but he, that guy's not gonna just suddenly be terrible at baseball. That's not a thing that's going to happen. Um, I mean, honestly, there might be a concern that Austin Riley isn't very good. Like that's that's in play. We don't know that. I'm not telling you that we definitely do, but with, there's a gap between. What we know about Ozzy Albies and what we know about Ronald Acuna is that those guys are really good. Now, maybe we don't know exactly what they are baseline-wise because they are so young, etc., but those guys are really good. And I, I assume, until otherwise noted, that a slump is a slump with those guys and not that, not that they just have just regressed. Whereas with Riley or a, another young guy that's maybe shown less, like you can't assume Austin Riley is going to bounce back. We don't know. He might not. He just might not be very good. That's, that's in play. He said the one stretch basically in his entire major league career where he was awesome when he first came up and other than that, it's not been very good. Um, so that's just different. I, I'm just trying to – I'm saying a lot of things right now without saying anything. But it's interesting to me that, yes, they've been able to carry. The lineup's been just fine overall. It's been carried by two or three guys. Like, you know, Adam Duvall's been good too. Um, Freddie's a funny one. Like, Freddie's, Fr- Freddie's numbers look fine. But if you watch the Braves, it's basically been one big game and a bunch of walks. There's not been a whole lot going on for Freddie. Um, so, yeah, it's – I understand the impulse to think, oh, my gosh – 
this lineup's going to be ridiculous when everybody gets ready. And that might be true. I just think that we have to be a little bit more cautious with a couple of guys and not assume too much. Yeah, and I agree. And like those comments can be extended to like, you know, is Ender really this bad at the plate? Because I mean, he can't sure be this bad, bad yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, but he's he's given us reason to be skeptical of his bat in the past. Um, I, yeah, it's hard for me to believe that he's this bad, but he's he's a guy that does have an option that could feasibly replace him waiting in the wings. Because as soon as Christian Pache is healthy, I mean, he's already on the forty man roster, so at some point you need to go. All right, let's let's do this now, Eric. You know, you've okay. you've baited you've baited me into it. We we got yep. a couple questions about this. Okay, um, I'm ready. Obviously, Ender's been very bad at the plate. Now, Ender's defense is good. That's yes. without without question. Um, he's a really good defender at a premium position, so that, that also matters. But not even I, as someone who cares a lot about defense, would tell you that a, a 44 WRC plus is playable because um, it's not. Now, again, he's not this bad at the plate. I know he looks bad. He's actually taking some walks this year, which is funny for Ender. He's taking more walks and doing less of everything else. But uh, there is a certain point where his bat is not playable. Now, we don't know where that point is. I, th- I think that he, again, is better than this. But because you're arguably your top prospect, at least at the very least one of your top prospects, is on the 40 men, like you mentioned, is the same position and also a defensive maven uh, in Pache that the questions are already pouring in. Now, this always happens with prospects and fans. They always want the prospect to come up, and I totally get that. Um, but in this case, the shortened season... Pache is actually a blue chip guy. Um, there's all kinds of reasons why you might look at this at this change. I'll point out one thing before I let you respond to this, and that is the fact that Ender Enciarte is making considerable money for this year and next year. Um, that is something to just keep in mind. I'm not telling you that's going to make the decision for the Braves, but he's not a guy who you can just cut with no impunity. Like with impunity, he he is he's owed some real money, and that is probably a factor. And unfortunately. Ender does not profile as a fantastic backup because he can't really hit. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting to me that this decision, if there is one, because eventually, and I, again, I don't know what, where this point is, eventually the Braves will have to reevaluate what they're going to do with Ender Enciarte if he is this bad at the plate. And again, we don't expect that to happen, but because of Pache being there and because of this start from Ender, the questions are really out there to the point where I think that was probably the thing that I was asked the most in the last few days with regard to podcast topics, et cetera, is like, okay, what happens with Ender? And uh, I totally get the question. I just want to point out again, he's owed like eight, eight plus million for next year. And that it's not, that's not an option. That's just like, he's owed it. Okay. So I, I tweeted, my, I, I tweeted my exact thoughts about this earlier today. Um, so, but I, I'm, I'm walking you through my thought process in First, like I, I like I resolved in my mind that I'd rather see Austin Riley playing third than I'd rather see Johan Camargo if there's a voice choice between those two players because I don't think either of them have looked particular. Their numbers have obviously not been particularly great, but I liked what Riley looks like at the plate in terms of just like his approach at the plate better than Camargo, and I'd rather have the upside that what Riley brings versus Camargo, who's going to be on the bench anyway. So even if I end up we end up being wrong about Riley but there's a lot more upside there, right? So I'm going to ask you some questions about Ender versus Pache in your mind. Who has a higher ceiling, Christian Pache or Ender Enciarte for this year? Higher ceiling. I mean, it probably has to be Pache, although I, uh, I will I will argue that Ender's ceiling, ceiling is actually higher than people want to think it is. I agree. But his ceiling is still not as high as Christian Pache is. I, I'm, I tend I'm to agree saying, with not, you. I, 
I am not saying that Ender Ceiling is not a good player, right? Because it absolutely is. Yes. yes, he he can absolutely be a good player. He can absolutely be a, like a one fifteen WRC plus against righties, and all of a sudden you get he gets really interesting as a player, right? So in terms of floor this year, keep in mind that we're looking at Ender Inciarte through the first sixth of the season with a forty four WRC plus, right? In terms of floor this year, who can be worse, Pache or Ender? Pache. I would argue it's a, Pache not close. You think he can be significantly worse than what Ender is right now? Yes, because and this is how I this is how I feel about anybody. It's not a Pache thing. A guy who's never played in the major leagues, I'm going to take the guy who's played in the major leagues. So okay. in terms of floor, That's, that 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 is fair. I don't think that the difference is that much because I don't think Ender's producing. Right? I mean, you're probably you're probably right. By the way, I, I'm I'm trying to. It's not as obvious as I'm making it seem. I just think <laughs> you're right. It's not. But <laughs> I, I I just I just think that you absolutely. I know Pache's a good defender. I I know he is. But you absolutely 100% know that Ender Enciarte is a very good defensive center fielder. He might not hit. He might not hit at all. I understand that. But you're talking about. I have a hard time thinking that the floor of a guy who's never played in the majors is is higher than a guy who has been a starting caliber player for for half a decade. Floor only. I, I, I get. I get what you're saying because Ender has been really bad. But again, it's been it's been ten days and he's not even played every day. Like. How many games? How many games has Ender started so far? Eight, seven? Uh, seven or eight, something like that. I, I so don't we're judging we're judging his floor on seven or eight games. I know he's been terrible. I, I totally well, no, understand no, no, he's no, hitting. No, okay, first of all, we're not judging his floor based on that. He's had plenty of stretches where he's been truly bad. Stretches, yes, but let's, I mean, even again, I am critical of his bat. We all, we've always talked about this, but I think his worst full season in the major leagues with his bat is like a ninety WRC plus. Like that's that's not that bad. It's not good. But when you throw in it, when you throw when you throw in his glove, like I don't think that we have seen enough to assume that Enciarte's floor is lower than Pache's. Like, well, I see. I know where I know where this is coming from. But again, like I'm looking at, at Ender's page right now. The last five seasons, his worst offensive season is a 91 WRC plus. Like that's again not good offense. I understand that, but that's in the majors. He was a three. He was a three win player that season. Yeah, I agree. Like. The only reason why he wasn't better last year is because he got hurt. Okay, so here's my here's the thought process, right? And this is from me watching lots of Pache, right? It's not that I think that that Pache will end up being a good player at the plate because yeah. we don't know that. We, we don't, don't know that. We do not. I do think that there's more of a chance that he ends up being a better player at the plate than Ender does. Well, that's that's not floor though. No, I understand. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not, we're not talking about floor. I'm just talking okay. about what my decision was. Is yeah. that I think it's more likely that Pache is going to be comparable to Ender. I don't think. Well, that is the big question. I mean, we're be, we're beating around the bush, but what the big question? Like you, you asked me ceiling, you asked me floor. The big question is project who's going to be better yeah. this year. Is that is that is that where, where we're getting yeah. from? Yeah. Like, and I think that defensively, he is maybe not quite as good as Ender. Just be, just because there's like things about playing for real in the major leagues. Like and yep. you know like and playing in certain parks. Agreed. That, you, you, that 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 experience has value, right? But I think it's close, and I think there are things that are physically possible for Pache that are physically impossible for Ender because Ender's game is predicated on having physical attributes that he doesn't have, but he's so good instinctually that he can still make catches that he probably shouldn't be able to get to, and you know in terms of positioning and things like yeah, that. Yeah, he also is the same guy he used to be. Like Ender, <laughs> Ender still Ender still a good defender. But Ender, like late in Arizona, early in Atlanta, 
was like a legitimate like gold to platinum glove level defender. He's not yeah. that anymore. He's a good defender still at a premium position, and I can't be, I can't say that enough. He is still yeah. really good in center field, but he's not the guy he was five years ago. And I would argue that the day that Pache sets foot on the field, he will be considered a really good center fielder. I don't know how much further I'm willing to go beyond that. I believe you. Again, yeah. Yeah. So if I mean, you've, case, you, you've obviously seen him a lot more than I have. That, and that's the big yeah. thing here. I know I'm not a prospect guy. And people know this, have listened to the podcast for a long time, I'm sure. But if you haven't, my general philosophy on prospects is that we don't know as much as people think we know about them. And I know you are super informed. And even then... I don't think that you can project most prospects as easily as a lot of people want to make, make it out to be. Oh, now, no, pa- no, no, no. Nothing's a sure thing. Here, right? It's not. And, but Pache, Pache is close. Like, Pache is at a really high level. And that was my, my thing always is, like, there is a certain caliber of prospect. And for the Braves, the shorthand for me on this is Ronald Acuna, where guys are legitimate, you know, top 10 prospects in baseball level. That is a level in which... Again, no one's a sure thing, but there is a certain level where it's a little bit more comfortable for me to project that guy as a big piece of your team moving forward. Pache is like right on the fringe of that level, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about that. About that. I trust you on this. I know you guys love him. He's really good. I'm not saying otherwise. I just think, especially with the injury he just had and the fact that, we, you know, middle of a weird season, there's, there's a level of safety in having Ender that Pache does not bring you. Even if we both agree... Pache's upside, just the the pure physical talent and his bat talent is better than Ender. No one's disagreeing with that. I just think that when you throw in the money too, and that's that's one that's one question that I would love to know that we will not get an answer on from Anthopolis slash his bosses is how easily are they willing to effectively bench Ender Enciarte for a prospect, knowing full well that Ender is owed considerable money next year, and if Pache plays center field and Ender is healthy, that change is made, and that change is not going back. Like, once you make that move, that move is happening, barring injury. Pache is there for the duration. That's how I'm looking at it. Now, it doesn't have to be that firm, but if you're literally taking a healthy Ender in Ciarte and saying, all right, Ender, you're not, you're not, you're not our guy in center field anymore. It's this, it's this kid who's t- a decade younger than you and more talented. That's a move that, that they're not going to go back on, I don't think. So it's a See, big decision. See, I think that there's a chance that they're willing to make that a – like this is a soft tryout type thing and to let Pache at least have a run at it because you can't have – I mean even if Ender – Ender has to not improve a little bit. He has to improve a lot right He now, needs to right? be like a – I don't know. If he's just himself, again, the last well, four that, years, that, that, yeah, the last that, four that, years that, he's been that, a below average hitter but not a yep. terrible hitter. Like if he if, – okay, hypothetically, Eric – if Ender Enciarte posts a career worst 85 WRC plus this year, is that is that better, or at least at least is, is that safer than than putting in Christian Pache every day? Okay, I have one question. One question for clarification: How much better or worse is his defense this year than last than last year? We'll assume Ender's the same defender he was last year. If he's the same, same guy same he looks position. like right now. I mean, he looks he looks like himself right now. Is he looking? Does he look incredible? No, but he looks. He's made a couple of nice plays already. He's graded as an above average defender. Obviously, it's a super small sample size. If we assume he's an above average defender, but not a game changing one. So basically, last year in sixty five games, so about you know obviously a small sample size season, less than half of the season, he was worth zero point nine FanGraphs WAR with a ninety three WRC plus. 
So we're assuming he'll be a little bit worse than that, which again is a bold assumption because he's never been worse than that, really. But if we say 85, over the full 162, that player is like, I don't know, worth between one and a half and two wins. And that's every single day playing, which he's not going to do anyway because we've already seen in two Brian Sickers credit, right. he's not playing under against lefties and he shouldn't. That's a good move by him. But again, like, I don't know. So, it's, so, so to answer your question, right, is that if we assume he's the 85 WRC plus guy, which is, is not a crazy number, right? Like, no, that's, you know, that, that's, that, that's worse that, that's, than he's that's, ever that's, been. A, yes. And we assume that he's exactly the same defender he was last year. And we've seen him make really good plays this year, which make you think that at least there's something in the can. That guy's there, in right? there. Like, yep. Yeah. I still think it's very close. And if that's the case for me, and this is, I, I don't know how much confidence I have in this. I just, in terms of what you're like, what you need from your lineup and where the struggles may exist, I would rather have the upside of having Pache in your lineup. And, that, now, and that's totally and, fine. That's a, and that, 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 and there's, the, that's not a safe pick. Nope. It's, it's not. not. But, but I also don't think we're losing that much considering that I also don't, in this scenario, you don't release Ender and Ciarte, right? No, and by the way, they're not going to release Ender and Ciarte. No, it's That's not, not going to happen. happen. <laughs> no, no. He, would, he, would, he would have a job within an hour. Well, <laughs> and there's also, there's also the question, like, uh, and this is one we can get to way later. We've already gone too long on this. That's my fault. But uh, the, qu- the other question is, when you have Pache, like, who's not on the roster anymore? Because... Well, that, 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 those those are separate roster management problems. That are oh, I know, and, uh, but my, but my that's coming. Saying, I mean, if if Pache when he's that's healthy, already coming. Yeah, he's, oh, that's, that's, already that's, coming. that's what I'm saying. Like, it's our, the Braves already have a roster crunch before considering Pache, and if you put him in there as well, it really gets dicey on the numbers in terms of like you're you're parting with someone that you like that is like a real part of the team right now, and especially when by the way again, Neymar Kekas is back in the near future. They have lots of bodies, man. <sighs> Lots of bodies. So that's, and honestly, my general overarching thing, people I'm sure have heard me say this a number of times, is that with prospects, like, if you're going to play them, and this is a weird season, so it doesn't really apply as much. If there was a minor league season, I would just leave Pache in the minors and have him play every day and cook. I know he's not playing in the minors right now. It's kind of a weird situation. They're working out, etc. But that might give you a little bit more license to stick him in the major leagues and see what happens. But there are roster considerations. There is Ender's contract. There is the role definition. And I'm and fine with the upside back. swing. Yeah, I mean, the, the upside swing on Pache is one where I, I'm cool. If they do this, I'm not going to criticize them for putting Pache in center field every day. I totally get it because that, that means they are buying on him, obviously, in a big way. And to your point, his upside is high. I mean, it's obviously high. He's that kind of prospect. It's just the question. It's not an easy decision. And I think that's what started the competition in the first place that we were hearing yeah. from people that are like, all right, it's time for Pache for sure. And it's like, well, no, it's not as cut and dry as that. Even if it, no, even I, if you just love Pache and you hate Ender and those people are definitely out there, there's still the contract and the roster and the logistics of a veteran who the team loves. Snicker loves Ender. That's well-documented. Like yeah, it's not, he, it's not he, like Marquecas level. Off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he let the guy off like when there was no evidence to, that he should do that at all. Like, this is a this is an organizational favorite guy who is still a major league player. He's not. It's not like he's thirty seven years old and he's fallen off. He might be bad now at the plate, like, but he's never been great at the plate. Even in his two hundred hit season, and I'm using giant quotes here, he was a league average hitter. So it's just 
what are you getting from Ender? There's lots of stuff going on there, and it's just not an easy decision. That's my my overarching stance is that that, that is not a cut and dry decision in any way, shape, or form. Yes, yeah, see, I, and I agree with you. I think that like in a vacuum, like I have my preference, but like I like all those roster considerations, I think are the biggest problem, especially with Marquez back. Like how many how many outfielders can you really realistically carry? You know, all, all of a sudden it's like you know lefties and righties, and you know all these guys that can play center field, and where are you going to play this guy and that guy? Those are all the things that I think that in a vacuum, right now as we know it, with both Pache and Ender healthy, I think that ultimately is what wins out in the decision making process, unless Ender gets appreciably worse. Or is like worse for like another two or three weeks, right? Like yeah, there's like there's definitely bad. a spot. There's definitely a, yeah. a spot in the calendar where they're going to pull the plug on under if he's this bad. Again, th- that's well, a lot of ifs. But if he I, continues to be this bad, they will take him out at some point. I think. I also think that if there if Ender rolls an ankle, <laughs> yeah, d- it's Pache. Pache, pa- pa- Pache would get his spot. What well, has and to I'm be not and well no, and I'm not sure when Ender's healthy, he gets his spot. Back. That that is a, that, that's a point that I will not argue with because a there isn't another center fielder in the organization that they're going to use. I mean, I know they they use Ronald Acuna there and he's perfectly fine, but I, I think we can be honest with ourselves and talk about the fact that Ronald is not a great defensive center fielder. Um, he's not he's not that, and I think they'd rather have him in right, frankly. So, and there's nobody behind him. I mean, there's guys who could fake it there, like Adam Duvall could fake center field, but if if Pache is ready to go and Ender got hurt for any length of time. It's gonna be Pacha, at least against righties. I'm fairly sure. Yeah, that sounds I mean, about right. Am I crazy? I mean, I, I think that it almost no. has to be if Pacha is healthy because the, the, they're gonna want the defense. I mean, maybe maybe they would want Ender every. I mean, maybe, sorry, maybe they would want Ronnie every, Ronnie every day in center, and with Marquez back, they could twirl around with that and have Duvall in one of the corners for, for defensive purposes. Like, I'm not thinking that's definitely a, it's definitely gonna happen, but if Pacha was right. I expect them, given that he's on the 40-man, to just put him in there. And just bat him ninth and hope that he hits. Yeah, and see what happens, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, if everyone seems to love his defense. I mean, again, I'm not an expert, but you are an expert, and everyone everyone seems to love Pache's defense. So that's that's usually one of the concerns with young guys, is that, like, are they going to defend? And that's not a concern with Pache, it appears. So Yeah, it's actually, the, the you, you worry about whether or not the, the hit tool is there. Right. It's, um, it's the opposite like, of what you would want. Because, I mean, in terms of, like, raw power, I mean, like, look, people are going to, like, think, like, oh, the Pache could be, like, your leadoff hitter because he's really fast and all that stuff. If you see this guy, he doesn't look like the prototypical center fielder. He is a big dude, man. Like, and that means there's there's, there's raw power there. There's, you know, there's a lot of real, real upside with this kid. And, trying, and in raw athleticism, there's just not a – there's not that many got human beings on planet Earth that can compete with him. And I, I get, I get to where I keep, I keep in terms of what my decision would be is that I think there's going to be some learning curves, but I also watching Ender at the plate is like a painful experience for me. <laughs> I just feel I, 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 like it's not just, it's not just the numbers. It's that it, it, it feels like that he's the, the at bats aren't competitive that, you know, he's barely hanging on to a toothpick at when he's at the plate, you know, some ugly swings, just again, defensively, I, I will concede that, you know, it's no guarantee at all that Pache would be as good as Ender. In fact, it's a fair yeah. assessment, a fair assumption to make that Ender would be better this year, although Pache could be close. And there's not a, a completely outlandish world where Pache 
is better just based purely on things like range and things like that. Like oh, he's just going to be able to get, he can just get the balls that Ender can't. He's it's a talent. And, yeah, he's just super talented. And if that's the case, then there have been plenty I, of guys I, I, I like who are his player. age that have popped in the major leagues. Like right. just because I am more skeptical of prospects than most does not mean there there are always guys who hit the ground running when they arrive and either mash or just play well immediately. Ronald Acuna was pretty good right away. Like, it's not like, and again, he's a special talent. I'm not saying the Pache's Acuna because he's probably not because most most people are not. Um, But there are plenty of guys, even that are not super top prospects, that play well right away. Like, Johan Camargo was pretty good right away and, by the way, has been worse ever since. But he hit his first full season, he was good. Like, there's there are prospects that are just good when they come up, and that could be Pache. Could be Riley mashed for what was that six weeks, and then it stopped. But he was mashing upon arrival, and that's that's in the cards. Like when the, when you have a guy that that is this talented as Pache is, he might just be good right away and never stop being good. That is definitely a possibility. By the way, this is a legendary t- um, tangent by us. Like oh, wait, just wait, twenty wait, minutes wait. on Christian Pache right now in in, in August. Well, well it, it is not just Christian Pache. It's also Ender. These are two hot topics. And people were asking us, to be fair, we got a lot of questions about this. I tweeted about it, and I've been asked about it. So I feel like it is timely and useful information for the people. It was, and uh, we we will stop now, I promise. Okay. Okay. Last thing before we get to the schedule, and we'll we'll briefly spend time on that. Um, We should at least mention the rotation. We talked about this a little bit, but Mark Bowman put out this this stat line that I wanted to read off about the rotation. through two turns through, it's obviously a small sample size, but the combination of Mike Soroka, your your son, and Max Fried, 23 innings, six runs, five earned, a 1.95 ERA for those two guys. That is obviously fantastic. Yes. The other three spots <laughs> in the rotation through a combined six starts, 21 innings, 18 earned runs, for a whopping 7.71 run average. Now, that, doesn't that is, good. it's not good. It's it's still a small sample size. Uh, obviously, Fulty's been removed. Uh, Tukey looked pretty okay, I thought, on Saturday. Did a lot yeah, of space he was, runners. He, but he, he was missing bats. I mean, like, he, he he's he's just a guy that's going to walk some guys. But other than that, he looked fine. He, he did walk some guys, but he looked okay. Uh, Sean Newcomb looked okay until he didn't. But there were some nice <laughs> moments from Sean Newcomb on Friday night. I will say that. He's man, always been a guy that man. can look good for a while, and he did. Um, that, man, when things turn, though. Yeah, it looks bad after that. And that, st- that started in a, a whole piggybacking conversation that happened again. Like, what does that actually mean? How quickly can get, can he get out of there, for instance? Um, that's a whole thing that we could do a whole podcast on. But at any rate, uh, that didn't go that well. And obviously, Kyle Wright, um, I-, I will say this, he didn't look that great today but he pulled off a few a full a few houdini acts um it's hard it's really hard to not allow any runs with how many base runners he was he was allowing today that's not sustainable i'll tell you that right now but uh they won and by the way that 7.71 uh era figure includes today with right walking on water to allow zero runs <laughs> yeah yeah it could have actually been worse could have been worse um i mean look the one thing i'll say about right is that as that start went on it still got a little dicey, but it did the the command and actually throwing strikes got better early on in the game. Good, it was very frustrating. Like he, his first, I think his first eighteen pitches, he threw two strikes. He looks like a very young guy out there, and I know he's yes. not as young as people think he is. But at the same time, he is a prospect, and he looked like a prospect today. He didn't look well, like a pitcher to, to me. He looked 
like the guy that he normally looks like the second time through an order. And yeah. like that's the frustrating part for me is like he starts getting cute and all of a sudden he's missing his spots and then it just kind of turns into a whole situation. We just jumped to that to start the game today and then we kind of worked backwards. Uh, I don't know. It was it was a frustrating start, but at the same time, we at least got to see him work his way out of those situations and he did do so successfully. Now, he got some help defensively from a, like a good play that Dansby made to turn a double play and you know, the the Mets being the Mets and kind of, you know, <laughs> the not, Mets. not exactly not exactly helping themselves. Uh, I imagine that if Cespedes was in this lineup, that things would have gotten pretty interesting pretty quickly uh, in a couple spots that are they're coming to mind, having all those base runners with that guy play, it would seem less than optimal, but it worked. Look, Whatever yeah. It, was. yeah I mean, it, it worked well enough. Um, I don't think that the last three spots in the Braves rotation is going to be this the rest of the year. Uh, I will say that uh, if it is, if it is, then I'm not sure if this, current first place standing is going to be in the cards. Well, that, that's the thing. Like as much as we've just been positive for most of this podcast about how things are going, they're seven and three. Uh, I think everyone would acknowledge that if they get just nothing from three rotation spots all year long, this is not a world series contending team at, at, at present. I, I don't care. I, I also don't care how good Soroka and Fried are. And by the way, even those guys who are very good, you can't expect them to have a two ERA all season long combined. That's not hey. going to happen. Um, you have faith. Sir. I I know they're really good. I know I know this. I'm I'm just saying, you, one cannot assume those guys combined for 1.95 ERA. But regardless, even if they did, let's let's assume they did for a second, Eric. <laughs> sure. If you if that's all you have and you have three spots of just complete mess, that's not going to be good enough. So right. you have, uh, you know, they're still going to go with Newcomb again. I think they're going to go with Tuki again. I think they're probably going to go with Wright again. I think so. We'll, we'll probably see one more time of this. And if there aren't changes, maybe those guys pitch well. I don't know. But there are, it's not like there are great options. They, they run in Shasin. We talked about this. And I feel like this is personal growth for us to not spend 20 minutes on the bullpen management on Friday night. We're not going to do that I, now, I, I promise. I, yeah, I feel I feel like we did really well. I will say that I would be interested if this next turn through the rotation doesn't go well to give Tomlin a try. I was going to say, I mean, I think he's probably next just to give him a chance. He lo- He's looked very good. Obviously, he's not a super high ceiling outcome. Uh, in terms of the guy no. th- that he is, but he might just plug a hole for you and might be okay. I don't know what they're looking for. Um, you for, do have the, for a the, fourth or fifth guy, I'm, right? That'd be it. They have the other. They have the other young guys. If they want to go to one. If they want to go to Bryce Wilson, or if they want to eventually try Ian Anderson. I don't know what they want to do there. But the overarching point is they're not. They're not great options on paper. Even the young guys, like, yeah, it might work, but there's no certainty with even a guy like Ian Anderson who we think is really talented. You don't know what you're going to get there. That, that's another. Um, in addition to Pache, the number one guy that you hear about is like, "All right, Ian Anderson time," and it's uh, it seems a little early for that, Eric. I got to be honest. Uh, with well, you. well, well, I caution just the Ian Anderson Kyle Moeller train anyway, just because we saw some things that weren't particularly positive out of both of those guys when they got the AAA, and I don't think it's necessarily anything they're doing wrong. It's that the physical ball that they're throwing is drastically different in terms of its physical properties than the one they were throwing in like in high A and double A. And giving them some time to get used to that and figuring out what they actually are going to be and what they're going to have to do seems like a good idea because again, it just, the ball moves differently. It's, it's, you know, the, the spin is different. You know, some, for some guys they have these crazy high spin rates where it doesn't really matter what the ball is made of, but for guys like Ian and Muller, you really kind of want to, I want to give them some time if you can. Uh, ultimately, you know, it's, it's about 
it's about winning games and winning winning a championship. And if you feel like these two guys give you a chance to do that, then you know maybe you you kind of pivot to them. But don't think that the day that Ian Anderson comes up and and, and makes his major league debut, that doesn't mean he's going to look great doing it. Because I think that there's a certain amount of adjustment to kind of the equipment that's being used that's an important thing to consider. Yeah. So we don't know. I'm going to hold off on doing more on this until we see more starts. I think we're no one's comfortable with three through five right now on the planet. No, uh, that's kind of where I'll leave it for now. You know, Cole Hamels is maybe not coming back. I don't know how that's going to go, um, but we can't assume he's going to come back either. So right now you have a bunch of options, none of which are established and good. Um, maybe Tukey finds it. Maybe Wright finds it. Maybe Newcomb can uh, piggyback and give you three, four innings a night and be all right. But uh, it's not it's not good three through five. So that is a glaring weakness. It's obviously the number one, number one weakness on the team right now. I think everyone would agree with that. The lineup is fine to good. The, the bullpen is good on paper. And then the rotation is good for two spots and a mess for the other three. So there you go. I will say this. They're going to have to find something. That's the simplest way to put it. They, yes. they cannot roll through the season with a 70 RA from those three spots. That's not going to work. So that seems obvious, but it's worth saying. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be like a, a sub three ERA for those three spots. It's like not going to be. It, it, it just has. It just has to be better. Like, it can't be this. Like yeah, you because you you have Freed and Soroka who are like they feel it, they seem like for the moment anyway that they can be your your like your they'll, they'll, they'll carry you. Free was so good like, on Thursday, man. Yeah, he was really good. That was our. We, so, we recorded Wednesday night, so that was the next day, and that's why we didn't. I don't want to go too far back in the. Uh, in the pecking order here, but man, free was so good on Thursday night. <laughs> I mean, and Soroka looked good too. It's just that he last inning. He, he just gave up a couple of base runners. Yeah. He was fine. The, that, that was like one of the few times where the bullpen, you know, let some run score. You know what I mean? Like it's that he's, he's, they both look, re- they both look really good. They do. Uh, and, and if one poor person tells me that the, the, the rebuild did not lead to any pitching being on this roster, I'm going to smack him upside the head because you have one of the big, one of the more important trades that happened that brought in Max Freed, and also a trade that gave you the spot that lets you draft Soroka during the rebuild too. So there's still some some of these guys are still work in progress, but there's two. I really still good uh, I, I would maintain that rebuilding with pitching is not a good idea. I said that uh, the entire that, time. That, that's certainly an argument, sure. I still I still I still believe that. But to your point, they they did find two very good arms. Um, yes. Two isn't enough. They they need to find more. No. Um, but those those two guys were success stories uh, pretty unequivocally at this point in time. So all right, uh, before we get out of here, Eric. I will just say, on the agenda this week, you have the final game with the Mets on Monday, which is the fabled Soroka DeGrom matchup again on Monday night. And the Soroka DeGrom games stress me out, man. Uh, as they should. DeGrom is very good, but so is Soroka. Um, so that that should be a fun one, if nothing else. Then they have Toronto at home. And by the way, Toronto has not played a game since Thursday. They were postponed four days in a row. So I have no idea what you're getting from Toronto. No clue. No, no uh, idea. I have no guesses even. And then they're supposed to go to Philly next weekend. Uh, Philly is the team that was playing Toronto or supposed to be playing Toronto and they had postponements. So uh, we know they're going to play the Mets on, on Monday. <laughs> That's all I have for you. I think Toronto for sure is happening. But I think so too. I mean, they're, they're, and, they're supposed and, to come here and it wasn't them uh, that had the issue. It was, uh, it was Philly and, had and the it, tie with Miami. So all that to say, like Toronto's coming here. They haven't played in a while, so they could be rusty. I have no clue. But that's happening, and they're supposed to go to Philly on Friday. I don't and know I if that's like, going to happen. 
but well, it seems like the Phillies are like they just haven't had any positive cases. They just have. Yeah, that, that should be I mean, fine. Like, assume we assume it's fine, but again, nothing is nothing is fine. No, right nothing but, is nothing is certain. Nothing. No. But uh, anyway, and, uh, in this schedule and wise, call, and the game ahead. tomorrow might get called because the season's canceled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> schedule wise, uh, facing Degrom, the Braves will be an underdog every time. Every time I know the Mets are terrible. Uh, so far this year, but when Degrom pitches, they're still good because Degrom is that good. Um, and then Toronto is not a great team; they're middling. And then you go to Philly. Phillies, you know, they have some talent, but they're not incredible. So another another spot where the Braves could make up some uh, make some hay this week if things go well. Yeah, absolutely. Braves are really good too. That helps. That is uh, that is something that is a positive. And by the way, after today, uh, five thirty eight gives the Braves an eighty five percent chance to make the playoffs. Uh, so that's that's how pretty good. It, hold, how are they handicapping this season of all? Well, seasons? they're just it's just numbers. Uh, they're just running the numbers, Fair. and basically they Fair. have the Braves as the sixth best team in baseball at the moment. I'm looking, yeah, sixth best team in baseball, maybe seventh somewhere in, somewhere in that range. So you factor that into the schedule and all that stuff, and you get an 85 percent chance to make the playoffs. Um, granted, it's an expanded playoffs, but alas, uh, if the season continues. If the season continues all the way through to the end, I am pretty confident the Braves will make the playoffs because the bar is pretty low to make the playoffs. So sure. I just want to put that out there. That's true. That's true. Fingers, fingers crossed, Eric, that baseball continues to happen beyond tomorrow. Oh, fingers and toes, man. One, one, day at, one day at a time, my man. One day it. at a time. All right, Eric, anything to plug this fine Sunday, uh, Sunday evening? Uh, just make sure you're going to the site. Uh, a lot, we're kind of leaning into game coverage at the moment, so just make sure you're going to talkatop.com. Every every evening, there's certainly going to be a lot of you know things with game coverage and kind of trying to lean in kind of what the Braves are doing. In terms of original content, a little bit of a wait-and-see game at the moment. This is kind of see what storylines actually emerge. Like, you don't want to – we don't want to run an article, like, through the first five games about, you know, how – how bad Acuna has looked or, you know, like is Dansby Swanson the next MVP, things like that. Like, you know, that this doesn't seem like a particularly great idea, but like those I mean in a compressed season, we're going to start doing some more of that predictive type stuff sooner rather than later, truthfully. Um, but, you know, beyond that, just make sure you go into the site again, in terms of like minor league stuff, uh, we don't have anything specific right now in the hopper. Uh, just kind of content as it comes up and kind of revisiting some things. There's just not a lot of new information coming out right now. Uh, because again, the alternative side is kind of under pretty strict lockdown in terms of getting people to watch things. So, but just make sure you're going to the site uh, and following along uh, for as long as we have baseball, which we hope will be at least through the end of September. We do hope that, uh, sincerely and uh, truthfully. All right, Eric, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. We will be back at some point in the near future. Could be an emergency podcast this week. I have no idea. We're on a heck of a run right now for podcasts with two or three per week. Uh, hopefully we have not spoiled you guys. We're still going to try to plan uh, to do at least one, maybe two per week moving forward during the season. And uh, if things happen to inspire us to do uh, extra pods, I think you've seen that we are willing to do so. So please subscribe. Please tell a friend or two or three about the podcast. And we'll see everybody next time.